We spend week after week talking about the stories of hacks and situations that might rightfully make some people a little bit scared at the prospect of what can happen to them or the technology that they use. But on What the Shell, for the most part, stories are all that they are. And even in my limited scope of 25 episodes at this point, it's hard to say that my outlook on security hasn't changed. I've known most of the high-level details of these things, read the news headlines, but hadn't really ingrained myself deep into the stories for some of these unless it was absolutely necessary until doing this show. But what if someone decided that they were going to go to the source, and not just tell the stories, but take a trip down the rabbit hole to meet the people that were directly involved? For the last several years, every other Tuesday, I've been listening to someone do exactly that talking to people involved on both sides of the equation to get the details of some of the best stories I've ever heard. But how might that continued exposure to topics involving nation-states, the dark web, and even talking to some of the criminals involved have an impact on you? Today, I'm excited to say that we have Jack Resetter from Darknet Diaries on to talk about his experiences, what lessons he's learned, and what's left a lasting impact on him in his time working on the show. So today, I'll take a step back and let him have the mic to explain what the shell it's like going that far down the rabbit hole. I know there is a small pool of my audience that isn't familiar with you or your show. Admittedly, you know, a small pool of a small audience isn't a lot, but do you think we could start with who you are and what Darknet Diaries is? Yeah. So I think we don't need to explain what a podcast is. I think we, that part's covered. <laughs> the uh, the show I make is called uh, Darknet Diaries, and it's uh, it's very much like yours. It goes into stories of cyber criminals and um, d defenders and incident responders and all this kind of stuff. And what I try to do is get the story from in the trenches, right? So a lot of a lot of experts reach out. Can we come and tell you about the latest trends in ransomware? And I'm like, nope, don't want to talk about that. Um, it's those people who had the worst day of their life at work and uh it, you know cybersecurity related that's the story i want to hear what happened what went wrong what went right and um let's hear about it and i feel like these stories are really exciting when you talk to them when you talk through it in that point of view you know sometimes you hear oh there's this major uh malware discovered or this virus right cvv10 and okay, you know, patch all the things, hair's on fire, let's go, let's go. But I, I want that, that shoe to drop. I want to know when does this get used in the wild? What was the impact? And who got, in, who got infected? And then that's the story I want to talk about. Not the potential issues, but the actual stuff that happened. So it's almost like a, a historical look back at some of the crazy stuff that's happened. So it sounds like, you know, nine out of ten times a actively exploited vulnerability might be out there, everyone patches it, but the one out of 10 that it got through makes an interesting story, and someone unfortunately had to deal with the repercussions of that. Yes. And that's yeah, and that, in a little bit. Yep, and um, I don't mind if it's like a 10-year-old story, because sometimes those things have evolved quite a bit over time. You know, you hear about, oh yeah, there's that vulnerability that showed up, but then you don't hear about, well, that resulted in a whole zoo going out of business or something. And you don't hear about how that's made, made a, a whole secondary industry that's going to try to uh, mitigate these kind of attacks. And you don't hear about how that has captured the criminals involved and what, they, what their side of the story was and why they even used this and how they used this and where they learned it from and all that kind of stuff. So that's what I kind of try to do is encapsulate that whole thing soup to nuts where did this where did this start where does it end and um if there's an ending to a story then that's when i think a story is ready to tell yeah i mean speaking of where did this start i wanted to ask a little bit about where you started because you started this around what 2017 or so and i was hoping you might want to talk a little bit about the road that led to darknet diaries uh, i know you were working yep. in network security right for a little while yeah well, it was 10 years really um so I got my degree in computer engineering, but, you know, a degree is a little bit about everything. It doesn't really put you as a master of one thing. So I didn't really feel confident going in any particular direction until I, um, and, and so I floundered with, with careers for a while. I was doing everything but IT. Uh, and then, uh, and then I was like, I want to do IT. So I went and I got my Cisco certified network associate CCNA cert. And that got me in this direction of, okay, uh, networking, 
And then that got me into a network operations center. And then from there, I just kept certing up and getting more certs. And somebody said, hey, there's a security engineering position open. Do you want it? And I said, engineer. That's all I heard was engineer. <laughs> I was like, engineer, of course, that's what I wanted all my life to be an engineer. So I, I jumped on it and they, they said, okay, what are the uh, commands of a firewall? And I was like, a firewall? I don't know. I, <laughs> I know routers and switches. So uh, I really didn't know anything about security. And, and they said, you're hired because you have the, uh, the attitude we need, I think. And it was the perfect thing for me because it really, I, I didn't really care where, what direction I was going in. I just wanted to do some, you know, meaningful IT work and get my hands into the, into the devices, right? And so it, I ended up in security, but it was perfect for me because with security, re you really need to know a little bit about everything in IT. You have to know, you know, about binary and, and, and uh, you know, file formats and bootstraps and operating systems and networking and uh, it, it, the whole thing. And if you, if you don't really understand that and you're trying to patch things or mitigate or detect threats, you don't know what you're looking for. You don't know what you really need to do. You don't know what options there are or how to pick things or what's going on there. So it really was like the perfect thing for me to get into. And I, like I said, I kind of randomly landed there. Um, but that's where I ended up staying for 10 years is doing network, uh, network security engineering, configuring firewalls, intrusion detection systems, and uh, n monitoring logs and, and just trying to mitigate threats on the edge of the network. I think it's weird. It kind of echoes a little bit how the start of my journey went. I went from military IT into network security, and I've come out of network security since then, but I don't think I had a better overview of like everything that was on a domain as better or as good as when I was configuring firewall exceptions for each of these and when I was making sure I understood what was coming in and out on a day-to-day -day basis. So like you're saying, being able to understand a little bit about everything in your own network and apply that context, that was like a key in terms of mm -hmm. fundamentals in there. Yeah, yeah, it was really, um, it was really extraordinary to just, I, I had a really fun time doing that. So, you know, I had 10 years doing that and then I... I kind of got burnt out and I thought, um, okay, maybe I should make a podcast. And so I put this, <laughs> put Dark Knight Diaries together and I, th I saw some, some good potential right at the beginning. And I decided, okay, I'm going to quit my job and work on this full time. Right. Cause there really wasn't a lot in this vein. Like I think there are a couple, there are a couple big names right now in, I think this section of podcasting, but at the time, I don't think there was much in the way of information security podcasts or even just, you know, storytelling as a method of learning about, you know, cybersecurity. Yeah, the bulk of it was, you know, interviews with leaders in the industry. And of course, they're going to give you 10,000 foot views. They're not going to be done in the trenches. Um, and then there is news. So here's the latest news that's happened. And that's that's a lot of it, right? So interviews and news. Um, and I wanted stories. <laughs> I wanted to hear... I wanted to hear, like, tell me a good story about Stuxnet. Tell me a good story about how the government, the U.S. government, NSA, infiltrated the Greek government and an ally of ours and, and took over their, their networks because they came in to help defend, you know, uh, the Olympics when the Olympics were in Greece. They're like, we'll help you defend this. What's the, what's the, I mean, there's a crazy story behind all that. And, and so these are the stories I want to hear. Nobody's telling these stories. They're talking about the latest news or the, or the, or the trends that are going on in, in security space. And I, yeah, I saw this gap. I wanted this. I wanted to just to be entertained because I think that this has a lot of drama. These stories have high drama and people die. People go bankrupt, you know, a lot of money at stake here. I mean, a lot of stuff is going on, big, big robberies. And so, yeah, and that's a high drama story. Who's telling these high drama stories? Nobody. Um, there were a couple podcasts, but I didn't quite know them at the time. So that's why I was just like, well, I, I love podcasts a lot. I listen to tons of podcasts. I might as well try and make one. And having 10 years in the, in the, in the industry, may, I might as well. So give it a shot. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, and you're what, this is five, six years about right now, right? You're coming. Yeah, up five years. Um, I've got a little bit of math I did this morning. Uh, so right now you're at 131 episodes uh, right before your break. And on a whim, I tried to figure out how much time, you know, a listener 
would have landed on this, and it's about 230 hours, if, give or take an hour or two, because I didn't do the exact seconds on everything. It's 230 hours of content from you, uh, and if someone was going to listen to episode one right now and keep going nonstop, it's about nine and a half days straight of <laughs> listening to you and Darknet Diaries. Take out a little bit if you're doing an ad-free version, right? Yeah. The, to add to that, I think it's something like 15 novels worth of <laughs> worth of stories as well, if you add up all the words. Yeah, I saw you had posted the word count on Twitter a few weeks ago, and I think I was a yeah. little bit off by a magnitude of three on it when you when I put out a guess, but it's... Ugh. And so now we're expanding on that a little bit. A while back, you had said you put 20 to 30 hours or so into each episode. Was that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, easily. And if you average at, say, 25, that's 3,300 hours on your end. Jeez. On top of the... 230 hours for just a listener and my point is just kind of to emphasize how much time you're spending in these topics and i'm wondering out of the 131 episodes out of those 3300 hours ever any that have had a lasting impact on you either positive or negative like an episode that you just find yourself going back and thinking about over and over again well yeah there are there are i think one one that and I, it's not specifically an episode, but it's just, and you know what, I guess it is an episode. It, it's, it's teenagers, really, is is what I'm thinking of here. And how you have just like, you know, a constant, ever-flowing presence of teenagers in the world, right? And so these are kids who get involved with strange circles online, right? So you, you never know what community they're going to be in. It could be in the Roblox community or Discord community or... Or even just YouTube comments hanging out there, right? And you can imagine all these different places online. Uh, okay, Instagram, Kick, you name it. Um, and what they're seeing in the world is totally different than what you and I are seeing. Because this is their friends. And their friends are making memes and having some strange humor. Who knows? And they're coming up with ideas. And these ideas, you don't necessarily know are wrong. Because it's like... Oh, that that makes sense. We can try to, you know, use this cheat in this video game. Is that illegal? Is that wrong to cheat in a video game? You know, and then it's like, well, let's see if we could cheat other players in the video game, right? And 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 you start getting involved in this thing that's kind of like you don't really realize it, but you're 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 eventually get into illegal territory, right? And and it, it's hard to see it clearly because your your entire social circle is doing this sort of thing. And so it's like, everyone's doing this. Well, not everyone, just everyone in your little tiny circle of the internet. Um, but that's just kind of the way our filter bubbles work on the internet. And so the, I think the concept here that, I, that sits with me that I can't figure out is how do, we, how do we solve the problem of teenagers attacking things like DDoSing their school, uh, changing their grades, um, attacking other players and some of the video games, right? I, I mean, we're talking about some pretty bad stuff when we get into it, such as, you know, um, swatting. And swatting has sometimes led to people dying. And so you don't really have... You go, you go to Cisco Live, you go to RSA conference, and you see a vendor that's a security vendor saying, we can solve any threat to your network, right? Like, what about the threat of someone dying from getting swatted and the teenagers out there attacking in really, really nasty, malicious ways sometimes? And that's kind of... That's what sits with me. This is a... This is something... And it's, and it's never... It's, it's ever-present. That's why I said at the beginning, right? It's not something that's like... Okay, well, let's just go talk to that teenager. Well, that teenager is already 25 years old by the time you figure out who you need to talk to and, and sort that out. It's gone. You've already got a whole bunch of new 13, 14, 15-year-olds that are, that are just learning this, and you can't quite get to them, right? It's, it's one of these, like, races that you're never going to win. And so there's one episode, um, I think it's called Dirty Comms, where I find... Um, uh, I, 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 it was a teenager who, who brought this story to me, but um, he brought me a whole bunch of articles and, and stories to read up on. But basically, um, there is, I, I mean, if you think about when I grew up, it was, um, it was the scene, right? It was the where's scene. It was hackers and freakers and crackers. And we were all going on to IRC and we were trying to share like what we knew and stuff like that. That was kind of my teenage days. And then 2005, 2008, 
you've got anonymous, right? And if you're growing up as a teenager in those days, anonymous is it's something that you'll you'll run into at some point as a teenager, right? And so now you're now you're in different IRC channels, you're on different chat channels. Um, it's um, it's it, it's it's got its own attitude, its own momentum, right? But we're here in 2023. What are what are the kids doing now? Anonymous, you don't hear them doing anything. They're not in the news anymore. And the the where's days is uh, long gone. You know, freakers. What I mean, what are they doing? Hacking payphones? There are no payphones anymore, right? So. <laughs> So, so what are the kids of 2023 doing? And so this is what kind of the, the, the interesting thing that just is fascinating me right now. And, and this episode, Dirty Comms, is kind of a story of like, here are 20 things that these kids are doing, these teenagers are doing, that is making money illicitly online. And things that you just never think of. Like, oh, I have a friend who works at Taco Bell. Um... If we can identify someone who has a Taco Bell account, we can take over their account and then order free burritos for ourselves because it will go to their credit card and not ours, right? I mean, this is the stuff they're thinking of. And it's wild to just go down the list of like, yeah, we've been able to figure out how to get free Hilton's stay or free Apple Pay, you know, like get someone else's Apple Pay account or buy a laptop, take it out of the box, put a brick in it, send it back, and return it and get our money refunded like there are tricks to do this sort of thing and there's just these it's just endless circles of of teenagers working on this stuff to try to make money and you know a lot of stories i covered sometimes they make they steal like million dollars in crypto heists and stuff like this right so million dollar licks uh from a from a 15 year old on a friday night or Thursday night and then having to go to school Friday. <laughs> like It's such a crazy idea in my head that this is what's going on because when I was a kid, it wasn't going after a million dollars. It was trying to get Grand Theft Auto 1 downloaded <laughs> for free. And and get that was like the big win, right? And so it's wild to see it progress to this stage. And and it just gets nasty and dirty and dark and it's wild in, in so many so many ways. And, you know, I think it does kind of stem with some of these kids in terms of, like, it. Do, there's a core level of, I'm going to impress my friends, and I'm going to make a little bit of money that I think kind of rings through. We have someone who has reached out to our show who's talking about how he's making money as a teenager doing uh, Counter-Strike mods. He's coding a login portal for a Counter-Strike hack team right now. And I'm like, you're 15. This, go, go back to school. This isn't take a step back on this like but you have incredible talents if this is what you're doing with your time but it's weirdly like i think it's a little bit of a reputational thing too and then you were talking about going uh with gta and things like 4chan in the mid-2000s you know i remember installing games and hoping that the cracked dll file that i got would work and now with retrospect being like why was i just replacing dll files in my Mm-hmm. games like that was not a good idea no it wasn't but it did give us the uh it gave us plenty of troubleshooting opportunities when things start breaking and you're like what is happening let's delete all this stuff i just downloaded um yeah we, you learn how to deal with that a lot from <laughs> getting that stuff going and then one anecdote from when i was in high school that you hit almost verbatim was like uh around the mid 2000s uh there was someone in my high school who had spent some time on 4chan and got a copy of Low Orbit Ion Cannon, uh, mm. you know, the, like the real basic denial of service tool. And one afternoon was like, I'm going to point it at our school's website and see what happens. And, you know, the, the site went down. And I think that he had an oh shit moment of, I am not touching this again because I did not expect anything to actually happen about this. And I could have seen that going one of two ways. Either, you know, he gets a high out of this and does more or that's it. Yeah, and it's it's so simple. I mean, it's it's really within arm's reach to just go download that and turn it on. It's really like a it's it's a one minute process. It's not a complicated thing. And this is what I'm saying is it's really tough to know a couple clicks and a button push is something that's illegal. That is crazy. And 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 it's just so easy to grab and do. And and this is I mean, when you're not when your prefrontal cortex is not fully formed, you don't make these kind of processing decisions of like if i push enter right now i'm doing something illegal 
<laughs> like, it's a weird concept, and you see your friends doing it. So it, it, it's just, I don't know. That's the stuff that sits with me, and I really don't, I don't know how to solve it. I don't know what to do with it. Yeah, it's like, unless you see the consequence, I feel like it's very easy to be like, well, that's, nothing bad happened. Right. Yeah, and there's um, you know, a story I did where somebody was mad uh, at a hospital and DDoS the hospital, and it was causing all kinds of problems. So, yeah, it's crazy. And kind of keeping on the topic of, or, or the idea of big impact topics, was there anything that you kind of researched or after you interviewed that really swapped your view or recalibrated how you looked at something in regards to the field? I think when I do a lot of this research and interviews, I, I have kind of these knee-jerk reactions. You know, I, I interview some criminals and such, you know, because they, they'll go to prison and they'll come out and they'll say, hey, I got a story for you. Um, and, and a lot of times I'm just like, oh, you're awful, right? You're, you're, you're just a jerk. Well, how dare you do this sort of thing? And that's kind of like my, my knee-jerk reaction to, to say that to them. But I always try to take my second opinion. My second opinion is like, wait a minute, what am I missing here? Why am I being so judgmental? What is my, what, what, what are my blind spots? So what I'm missing is I don't know why you're doing that. And if you explain to me in a way that makes sense, then all of a sudden I'm on your side and I'm cheering for you. Like, yes, you should have done that. That's absolutely what I, what I would have done too if I was in your situation, right? And so it might be because, you know, you've been bullied all your life or you have some sort of mental struggles or something like this, or you had, you, you know, you had a lot of loss in your life. I don't know what it is, but there's something, right, that we just miss. And when you, when you get to this point and you understand that, then it flips, everything flips on its head of like, wow, you're not the villain, you're the hero. And I love having this feeling now of, hold on a second, I'm going to tell this story. <laughs> do I villainize this person or do I, do I romanticize this person? And that's a crazy situation for me to be in as a storyteller and trying to figure out what's the right way to, to tell this story so i mean this is i mean i flip it like on so many different stories when i'm researching and i'm just like there's something i don't get here i'm i'm getting too mad about this right or something uh, that's kind of a broad concept of changing my my views and but it's 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 how i like to approach a lot of the episodes and you know i like the idea of understanding the journey that got someone where they were I'm, in my head, while you were talking about that, I was thinking a little bit about the Gollum Fun episode. I'm like, I think you could have told that story from one of the agent's point of views, too. And it would have been a completely different tone that I probably still would have been on the side of the interviewee for. Like, it would have been understanding the agent's journey and following them. Be like, yeah, let's go, let's go. But you also did it for his side. And it was like a very interesting story to hear from start to finish. And as you're talking about giving context to every decision that was made. Yeah, yeah. With that one, I, I went way back to his childhood, right? Before we even get into any of the <laughs> online crimes he did. Like, I want to talk about your sister and your mom and your stepdad or your grandpa, right? Like, I mean, and, and when you hear that context, that's when you start to say, dude, this guy is going to have a rough life. There's no way, there's no way that he can't. He's already, he's doomed from like age five. And, and so now let's do it. Let's unravel it. Let's see where we go with it. And it's crazy. Right. It, it shows, you know, those, they don't call it the formative years for nothing. Like if they're not the best, like in that situation, unfortunately you're given a mold that's kind of hard to break out of that puts you in a bad place. Yeah. And your last episode before you went on break was welcome to video. I really, I really liked that episode, but the idea of talking about child exploitation. It's something that I figure must have been a little bit hard on you and especially the interviewee uh, mentally. Are there topics like that that you maybe wish you hadn't hit or hadn't done either because it did hit you mentally or after a fact that you thought that might have been better left untouched? Yeah, it, with these ones, it's really difficult to do journalism on because you got to prove it. You got to research the facts and all this kind of thing. You know, how far are you going to journal? How far are you going to prove the facts of there's child exploitation material on um, sexual exploitation material on, on these sites? Like, you know, I did another one on kick about how there's a lot of it on kick. Um, it's a social chat app 
And I got into uh, a, a, like a vigilante circle, I should say, of people who are trying to stop it, identify, stop it, dox these people, report them to the FBI, whatever it is. And so they're the ones who have to go identify like where this is and who has what and like confirm that this is actually, yeah, these people are trading some pretty ugly stuff. And if they have it on their computer, then that is a problem, right? <laughs> and they're taking screenshots of this and all this kind of stuff. It's it's a weird thing that I don't want to really get involved with. And and I'm trying to I'm trying to report it to Google Play like, "Hey, you got um a bunch of child sexual exploitation material on on this app kick you should take it off the platform it's a violation of your terms and they're like well prove it what 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 app what what information do you have to prove it and i'm like oh you jerks <laughs> i'm not gonna send you this kind of material there's no way right like by proving it you put yourself a in a little bit of legal harm <laughs> b yeah. exposure to yourself a little bit more on that it yeah so i i i think it's um I think it's important to like just kind of show the shape of it um of like here's kind of what's going on out there and tell some stories about it i have a tough time uh i think just ethically pulling up what i think is maybe you know like the bottom of the valley of evil in the world and 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 pulling that up and making a big example out of it or making a big noise out of it right so you you see some of these some of these really awful people in the news and it just gets it gets us all buzzing we start writing all kinds of articles about look at look at what this person said and look what they look, look you, i knew they were you know this kind of jerk and and you it's just like we should totally ignore this a lot of this is just trolls it's not even like what we should be focused on at all and so i i hate when trolls get their day in the sun <laughs> i really hate it <laughs> so it's really tough for me to pull up some of these awful stories and give that give it the sunlight that i really don't think it deserves because i just want it to go away and and i struggle with that quite a bit and this is one of those stories that i'm just like <sighs> i don't i don't want to teach people where it is or how to find it or what's going on there or how prevalent it is or and uh, at the same time, I, I want to let people know this is really bad and you should not get involved with it at all. I have to imagine there's a fine line in terms of instruction versus education, almost. Like I did an episode on the dark web last week and I had to be like, don't, you don't need to be doing what I'm talking to you about. I'm just letting you know how it works. This is how you would get there. This is why it's not as complicated as people think it is. Um, this is how people use it it but you don't have to be doing this i've got stuff for you to look at this is not something that you need to be taking away and taking as an instructional exercise tomorrow yeah exactly and and luckily for me i've been in a situation where i've inspired a lot of people to go into uh cybersecurity as a career and it's crazy how many stories i've been told like painters and dentists and auto mechanics like I, I quit my job and I went and got a cert and now I'm working on this and I'm happier than I've ever been and I haven't had anybody tell me hey you've inspired me to go be a, a criminal and take take a bunch of millions of dollars so I, I feel like I'm telling it in some sort of ethical way if I, that's the feedback I'm getting no one's come back to you and be like I listened to all your episodes now do an episode on me yeah <laughs> On the flip side of that, as opposed to stuff that tries you mentally, is there anything that you really want to do in the future when you come back? It, like, if I could wave a wand and make an interview happen for you or make a topic happen for you, what episode would you make? Yeah, I mean, my favorite episodes are the ones that you, the listener, could never, ever, 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 ever hear or experience on your own. And so, you know, a lot of times I'm at DEF CON, the hacker conference, and you hear at the bar or in the hallway the craziest stories, right? And it's and they're never going to make it to light. They're never going to be on any any place ever. You're never going to hear it ever. And half of it may be made up, but what are the truth parts? Those are interesting. And I mean, just crazy stuff. Stuff that's going on in the White House and stuff that's going on in um, other countries and in schools. It's I mean, just really wild stuff. And so. I want to hear those stories that have never been told, right? But I think I'm I'm always trying to push that 
like I think a lot of uh, podcasters have a tough time finding guests, right? Where was a good guest? I have a tough time finding guests because I want to keep pushing to that that zone of, oh, I can't talk about that. Oh, yes, I absolutely know all about that story, but there's no way in hell I'll ever be able to tell you about it, right? That's the space that I'm playing in constantly. And so, you know, with that in mind, of course, I'd love to call up Fancy Bear and interview them for a podcast or North Korean hackers and interview them or you know, Ira Iranian hackers or Israeli hackers. I, I actually did have uh, Israeli 8200 members, at least three now on my show, to talk about a little bit about Unit 8200. At one point we did go into quite depth of Unit 8200, which was really exciting. But I mean, this is like the NSA of Israel. And so I can't get GCHQ to talk ever, right? The UK's NSA, they are just so like, nope, and same with Canadian. They're just like, nope, we will never, ever, ever be able to talk about your show. But I've had six people from the NSA on. And so I'm kind of ticking off some of these boxes of like, okay, I got the NSA. I got one other country. Um, and so where this, what's, what's Fancy Bear's phone number? Like, how do I call them up, right? And that, that would be amazing to have just, you know, adversarial nation state actors give all. That would, that's the space that I'm, that I'm pushing. Yeah, to hear the other side of some of the big hacks would be insane like that. And then also I'm thinking, as you're talking about this, like, what if we applied the same the same kind of methodology of understanding how someone gets to that, right? How do you end up in the APT and how do you end up on the other side of these nation state attacks that we're listening to? That's, I would want to hear that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a lot of mystery out there in the in the cyberspace world, and it would be fun to break one of those mysteries wide open on my show and be like, "Dude, Jack found the guy who is the Zodiac killer or something, right? Like just something at that level of of like, oh my gosh!" And it just becomes like the news for the week. Yeah, your own unraveling your own cybersecurity mis uh, mystery at this point. Yeah. <laughs> And then this is a little bit of a uh, change in topic, but on your website, when you posted about the break, there was something that caught my eye a little bit. You mentioned that when you came back, you were looking at doing stuff that's more philosophical in nature or doing comedy videos. And I've listened to all your interviews uh, with you where you get a little bit into the idea of maybe knowing yourself. And we've had some fun interactions online on Twitter and in Discord, but I think most of the audience might not see that side of you as much. To them, you're always deep down in the dark net. So can you talk a little bit about what those projects might look like or that side of entertainment that interests you, the philosophical and comedy side of it? Yeah, I, th I mean, I feel like all my life I've been trying to fill my brain with knowledge, right? And I thought that would be like my biggest tool to have with me. And somewhere in the pandemic, you know, we kind of reset or just start thinking of everything. And you kind of revisit some of this stuff. And somewhere in there, I kind of realized wait a minute, where, where, is my, where are my thoughts? They're just in my brain somewhere, but there's really no place where this consciousness even exists. Um, it's in like this, it's in this, like a nothingness. Like where is consciousness? So that like derailed like so much of my thinking of like, I've been shoving all this like memory in here, yet I have no, like it's all just on a, on a, like a flash drive. It's not even like hardcore. It's not cold storage, right? Like what's going on in my brain, right? So it really told me to like turn around and look at yourself and see what's going on upstairs. And that's where I just started like learning about consciousness and that unraveled to all kinds of other things, right? Just philosophical ideas in general. And I was like, let's go back to the beginning and learn like Socrates and Descartes and, uh, you know, all these big, big thinkers and, and, and catch up to where I am now. And what do we need to know now? And like, I think where I landed on this is like, okay, here we are in 2023. How does all this philosophy from the past help us here? Because the world is changing in such a fast pace technologically, and we're going through some major changes. How do we how do we navigate this right like what uh what is the best way what do we need to know for the for to prepare for the future or even now and it doesn't it doesn't seem like some of our old ways of thinking is working through here like for i'll give you an example 
you know, I think we've kind of gone through three major shifts um, of who we trust over time, right? So for a long time, we've trusted religion to be what we follow and, and listen to and do as it says. But then we kind of shifted to, actually, we know what we're doing. We can trust ourselves. And it's more of a humanism kind of approach. Like, I know what I'm doing here. I'm going to trust myself. I don't really need some sort of upper being to explain to me um, what I should be doing with my life, making purpose for me or anything like that. I have my own decision-making power. And that that is kind of, you know, been shifting slowly for the last couple thousand years. And, and you would think that that would be kind of where we end up is we're the ultimate deciders of truth because we have the capabilities and the faculties to make decisions on our own. We're just equipped with it. But look what's happening now. We have data and computers that is able to collect and see so much more than we can process mentally. We can't see all of our DNA, for example, right, and process our genomes even if you give me the report of like, here's here's the billion strands of DNA in your body, figure it out what you need to do, I won't be able to look at it and understand it. I am no longer the, the arbiter of truth. I, I, the data is, the computers are. The computers can figure things out better than me and more accurately than me and, and faster than me in many cases that can do major things like decide my future for me, my health, what uh, car I should buy. I mean, a lot of a lot of our decision making could be put into the hands of a computer now and where we're uh, taken out of the decision making process and so to me this is like a major shift of whoa who's making who's got the power here to do this decision it's now a computer how do i navigate that what do i need to know what do i need to equip myself like if i'm going into this jungle what what equipment do i need to like navigate through this and that's kind of where i've been doing a lot of thinking is unconsciousness and in technology in in today's world navigating that is something that's crazy to think about a few weeks ago you posted something online that was like an average person if they read one book a month will read what 700 books in mm -hmm. their lifetime and you posted a bookshelf as to what that looks like and it's a lot to think about that that's a lot of things that you could read but then the idea that that amount of data is being uploaded in the blink of an eye every second of every day that's all think about yeah. the stuff that you are not going to be exposed to and how you need to be able to filter through and interact with these things it, it's just a whole lot of data to process mm -hmm. and i think i think what i've kind of am trying to focus on here is learning like what myself is and what my needs are and what my desires are because i feel like a computer will be able to shape that and convince me that this is what I want when maybe that's not what I want. And I feel like we're just gonna be tumbled through the ocean of, of technology at some point, shaped, shaped and shifted and put into a specific place of where the technology wants me to go and not necessarily where I wanna go. And, it, and maybe a comparison could be winning the lottery. If you have a specific idea and goal and you know exactly how much money you give to all your relatives, before you win the lottery is so much better than not having any plan, winning the lottery, and not knowing what to do with any of the money, right? Um, you're going to be sucked into all kinds of places that you don't necessarily want to be part of or involved with, and, and your relatives are going to be uh, on your case in a way that is not, you don't know where to draw the line anymore, because you're like, yeah, sure, I'll get you that car, sure, I'll get you that house, and you, know, you just keep asking and asking and asking, and it's like, whoa. I, I gotta stop this at some point, but how? And if you had started at the beginning, like, nope, you are gonna get $200,000, that's it, I'm done with it. I just want you to know that's just what the plan is. And that's it. If you start that from the beginning, then it's a lot easier to navigate that going forward, right? And so I think this is kind of what that feeling is for me of like, what is it that I need? What are my core values? What are my goals in life? And let's make sure that that's written down nice and solid so that when AI comes and starts convincing me to do things that maybe I don't necessarily want to do, um, I can refocus and recenter and reset and, and say, no, you don't know me. I know me <laughs> kind of thing. The ability to know yourself enough to recognize when an external force is driving you a little bit. Yeah. And I feel that when I arrive in like a, 
another town like San Francisco or New York, you don't know what you had a plan, but screw that plan. All of a sudden, you're just going with the river of people, and it's and you're looking at this and you're looking at that, and you really like because a week goes by and you're like, shoot, I wasn't I supposed to do something here? <laughs> and then what about the comedy side of that? Uh, because again, that's something I don't think we see a whole lot of. Uh, beyond maybe a couple interactions every other episode in terms of you know jokes you get we get your yeah. jokes at the end of every episode but yeah i mean i every now and then i, c- I just come up with uh an idea of like doing all the wrong things on a computer i um I, and like there's sometimes where you might see somebody uh I don't know. I just I, I I come up with some visual gags, and I it'd be fun to put it together, and someday I will. Um, but it's not really the focus so much right now. It's mostly philosophy. Gotcha. And then I guess now to kind of close things out a little bit, if we could, I'd like to touch on what your approach is to personal security, and if you had any kind of lessons learned that you've been able to take from all your episodes that you could share with the audience. Yeah, it's. I mean, it all comes down to your your threat vector. I think for me, a lot of people would be would want that feather in their hat of like, oh, I hacked Jack Resider and I got into his stuff. So, like my my website, darknetdiaries.com, is a static HTML site, right? There's no backend database. There's no users involved. There's no anything that you can have a foothold to get into ever. And so, you know, you've got to kind of take these kind of precautions and and with that i don't have like analytics that i'm grabbing or anything like this either because i don't want to collect data on my users very much i i, I try to do best practices on, on all the things right so one of the books i really love is called extreme privacy what it takes to disappear by michael bazell and this really helps me learn like how to set up a new windows computer or a new iPhone or whatever, without having to give up all your privacy and and data and this kind of thing. And, and what what are kind of the things you should do? And it just it's a really great guide to um, personal security and privacy online. And I like to try to exercise my right to be private online as much as I can. So yeah, I think that's kind of my guiding light there. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll update my software whenever there's updates, and I'll use a password manager to make sure I have a long, complex, unique password for every single website out there, and no, no reusing, reusing passwords anywhere, and turn two-factor authentication on wherever I can, and try to do all the best practices. And it takes—it's a muscle that I think takes some exercising because you can't just learn it and then be done. It's—it's ever-evolving, and there's always more you can do. So the deeper you go, the deeper you can go, <laughs> but you can't quite go deep on day one. Right. There's a reason all these topics kind of make it into your annual infosec training that you have to do every year at work, like because they're tried and true, and it's what works. Hmm. So I think that's really everything that I had on for our agenda today. I don't really have anything else other than to say thank you again for coming on the show, and I'm really excited to see what you've got coming for us when you come back uh, in April, right? Yeah, April, the beginning of April, I'll have some more episodes. But why can't I ask you questions? Yeah, let's go go for it. Tell me, tell me about your experience with Frisson. Oh, with uh, see, I don't. That wasn't really how I was interpreting the. Uh, pronunciation of it. I thought it was pronounced Frizen. Like, uh, okay, there you go, Frizen. Like Frizen. So, the experience that I had at one point was when I'm in like a stadium and everyone is singing at the same time, I start to get goosebumps. And I like this is hitting me at a core level. I don't know what it is. It's making me happy. Or there's this video that I saw of. It was really simple. It was a man in a Korean subway station, and he was an American, but he was singing in a Korean pop song acoustically, and the joy that it brought to people's face, again, got that same kind of core reaction of, like, this is the side of humanity Mm -hmm. that it's making me respond to at an emotional level. And I didn't know what that word was. I didn't know there was a uh, word for it until I had found that subreddit that I told you about. Um... And I just started being like, oh, there are other people who feel this way as well. And every now and then, like, I have that on my day because it kind of reminds me, I think it's really easy to get swept away in the amount of fear that is thrown at us every day. And things like this can kind of remind me of like, okay, this it, it 
anchors me back down a little bit away from the anxiety that is thrown on everyone every day. Yeah, this is, it's a really fascinating concept to me, and I've been trying to pursue some of these experiences myself. Um, I think on my break, you know, I, I, I'm taking a three-month break from the podcast, and um, one of the feelings I'm trying to chase is the feeling of getting out of school, senior year of high school for the summer, and you know you're just done with school, and it's like the best feeling ever of walking out, and it's warm because it's summertime, and you're just like you're carefree and you're ambitious and you're you're excited to just tackle the world and that i i've felt a couple times on my break already and it's from doing things like working real hard all day writing stuff or building something and then taking a like being done with that being feeling like you you've accomplished something for the day and then taking a walk with a really good song headphones on and then going somewhere where you're going to, you know, enjoy it. So, you know, treating yourself to something special, like maybe going to see a friend or, or going to get some food. Um, there is that feeling of after you're done with that that hard work and the good music is on, it just, I feel like I'm floating. I feel, and, and I'm walking, you know, around, but it's it's just, it feels great. I feel just degrees happier for some reason. And, and, I, and I try to capture that. And I don't know if there's a name for that one either, but... That's the after school, out of school feeling. Do you think it's partially because you don't have those due dates? You said it a few times that you're getting away from the idea of due dates and now you're just doing this work for you and you're in a comfort place. This is done and you've you've appeased yourself at this point. No, I don't know if it's that or if it's um, I'm just kind of going up and down emotionally and the the feeling of going from the down to the up is noticeable. Right. So it's like where that where's a wave in the ocean? Where does a wave start? Um, is it start at the bottom of the bot of the first, you know, wave or in the middle somewhere between one wave and another? And it's and I think emotions are kind of like that too. You don't really know where happiness is and you don't really know where sadness starts or ends, but you know that there's a difference between happiness and sadness. And and somewhere there's that kind of wave of not exactly knowing where it is, but maybe it's Maybe there's a threshold changing from, from, God, this sucks. I'm doing a lot of hard work to, okay, I can let those um, endorphins run free now because I've done it. I've accomplished it. And I'm going to put on a really good song that's just lifting, mood lifting. And I'm going somewhere that I'm going to have even more dopamine. So like, it's, it's like this change, this thing that I think is happening. There's, I, this might be up your alley. I'm not exactly sure if it is, but in regards to uh, philosophy and kind of knowing yourself and also knowing the expansiveness of everything else, there was a term that I heard. I don't know if it's a legitimate term, but it's called sonder. Have you heard of that? Yes. What, go on, though. Uh, it's just the idea that, say you're driving in the car and you pass people on the sidewalk a whole family or just two individual people the idea that those people have a life that's every bit as complicated as the one you've had maybe more so and then expanding that out to that's just one or two people and then expanding that by oh well there's a whole city a whole state a whole country of people around me that are all having these intense and extensive lives that you know i'm not directly involved in but if it's as complicated as mine, it's insane how that hits you a little bit. Yeah, I've I've experienced that quite a bit. I didn't I didn't know there was a term for it for the longest time, but I love looking at people driving by in the car next to me or whatever, and just trying to imagine their whole life. It's why I like to take trains places if I can, because train tracks often go by people's houses. It goes by cities and states and. If you like looking out of a window and looking at the world pass you by, you get a whole lot of glimpses like that. You get, oh, well, there's a family having a cookout in their backyard. I hope they're having a good day. Like, I hope this is a good moment for them. Or just a man walking his dog, enjoying the nice day out. It's that kind of experience hits me hard. Yeah. Uh, it's good stuff to think about. Any other questions? I'm going to send you. No, that's good. I'm, I'm just excited to hear someone else get into it. I think it's a French word, frisson. Uh, 
I'm gonna. I'm going to have to find the answer to this now. I I had only ever seen it written out. I've never heard someone say it before, and I just and I assumed if it was just prison, like prison, but it does sound better when you say it, free song. Yeah, I think um, free free song, and uh, it's it's a French word meaning to shiver. Okay, that explains like the goosebumps kind of feel for it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been a lot of fun, Doc. Thank you very much. I again appreciate it. I wasn't. Um, you know, I, we, I'm in a separate discord with some other like lower level content creators and they were like, how do you get guests? And people just say, take the risk. And so I said, you know, I've talked to you a few times off and on, on discord, asked occasional questions. And then we met at DEF CON and I said, all right, I'm just going to take the risk and invite you on. And it does mean a lot that you came on. Great. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So that episode was something that I've been hoping to do since I first started the show. I don't shy away from the fact that Jack and Darknet Diaries have been a direct inspiration for me, and it was insane to be able to talk to him. If you're coming to my show from the Darknet Diaries fanbase just to get some of your fix of Jack, then I appreciate you taking the time to come in and listen to the show. I hope you'll stick around because I've got some other cool guests planned in the coming months, and some good topics, I think. If you want to hang out, you can join me and some of our fans in the show's Discord. The link to that and my socials are in the description of the episode. And lastly, there is something new that I wanted to talk to everyone about. You may have noticed that, hey, there's no ads in this show, and that's pretty neat. That doesn't mean the show doesn't cost money to make, so to help offset that cost, I launched a Patreon. And it's as simple as going to patreon.com slash whattheshell, and there's a couple different plans, including various levels of bonuses. But I'll let you decide if it's worth it. I don't want to pressure you, I want to let you know that's there if you want to help support the show. If not, then just keep listening. I'm John Cordes, and I just want to give one last thanks to Jack Recider for coming on to explain what the shell it's like doing what he does. Also, this episode couldn't have happened without the support of the patrons, of which we already have a few, so thanks to Chris Finnick, Ben Marcarell, Thiert, Tyus Ashworth, Pseudo, and last but not least, the user that's testing out the limit of characters in his username. Quote, I use Pot of Greed to draw free additional cards from my deck. Thank you for supporting the show. It truly means the world to me. I'll see you all next week for another episode of What the Shelf.